This is Africa Digest. and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you live from our studios in Johannesburg. We're on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Online, it's www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with Joala Nitulo, with Sani Matebula, as well as Neto Chimani. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Leaders in Ethiopia and Eritrea take a further step to cement relations following 20 years of tension. Over two months after the DRC's government ban on plastic use, there's still noticeable change. In economics, an international conference on artisanal and small-scale mining and quarry management is underway in Zambia. Lastly in your sport, South African wheelchair tennis star relieved she will no longer worry about transport after receiving a sponsored vehicle. But first, let's find out what's happening in the news with Zwala Nitulo. Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. Cameroon's government has vowed that next month's presidential election will be peaceful and voting will take place nationwide. The announcement by Minister of Territorial Administration Paul Atanganji on state radio comes despite mounting bloodshed in the Central African country's rest of Anglophone regions. Cameroon's two minority English-speaking regions, the Northwest and the Southwest, have been hit by almost daily acts of violence that have left more than 100 people dead and about 200,000 displaced since late 2016. The Anglophone separatists have said that voting will not take place in the two regions next month. A Malawian truck driver has been arrested in Bulukwane in South Africa's Limpopo province while allegedly smuggling in 87 undocumented foreign nationals. Police Colonel Muatengwe Be says the truck was stopped for suspected traffic violations. He says if officers discovered the foreign nationals in the closed back of the truck. South African police services in Western Bank outside Polokwane have arrested the driver of a truck who is around 50s for bribery and other possible additional criminal charges. His arrest follows an incident which occurred in the early hours of this morning when a truck failed to adhere to the traffic sign going into the Polokwane Traffic Control Center. Subsequently, the provincial traffic police officers pulled it off and discovered 87 undocumented Malawian nationals. The arrested driver will appear before the Polokwane Magistrate Court soon. The international community must intervene in the political impasse in the DRC. This is the view of various political parties led by the Symbol Party that marched in South Africa's capital Pretoria to lobby the government. Situation in the DRC has been tense since postponement twice of elections. Joseph Kabila has been accused of trying to cling to power and ensure that a loyalist succeeds him. Elections take place in December. However, two opposition leaders, Jean-Pierre Bemba and Moise Katumbi, have been denied entry into the country ahead of the polls. March organizer and Assembly Party representative in South Africa, Edward Kasongo, says the international community should ensure an agreement signed last December is respected. We think that the international community must support the agreement and then, and then for that we don't need Kabila to be anymore in power because he failed to uphold to this agreement. So we have an agreement already and Mr. Kabila has violated it repeatedly and for now we don't give him a chance and the international community must abide by that agreement. So all Congolese people 
the Catholic Church, they are busy campaigning so that that agreement being respected by everyone. The authorities in Zimbabwe have banned all public gatherings in order to control the spread of cholera, which has killed at least 21 people in the capital, Harare. The ban comes a day after the government declared an emergency following the outbreak of the disease. It is not known how long the ban will be implemented. However, it is bound to thwart the plans of opposition leader Nelson Chamisa, who had planned to hold a rally this weekend. And finally, investigators from the UN say Syrian government forces have used the ban weaponized chemical chlorine in three attacks this year. They add that this constitutes war crimes. The UN Commission of Inquiry on Syria says it has documented 39 chemical attacks since 2013, 33 of which it has attributed to the government. The chairperson of the inquiry, Paolo Pinheiro, briefed reporters in Geneva. Most battles documented in the report before you today were marked by a series of war crimes which we have detailed extensively, mainly launching discriminate attacks, deliberate attacking protected objects, using prohibited weapons, forced displacement, including by armed groups and terrorist entities. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. It's now 17.06 Central African time. You are still listening to uh, Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa with myself, Samora Mangesi. Of course, standing in for Spumelele Zondi uh, for the rest of the week. Now, kicking it off, the leaders of Ethiopia and Eritrea have reopened crossing points on their shared border for the first time in 20 years, cementing ties between the two nations and giving Addis Ababa a direct route to its former foes Red Sea ports. Now, the war over their uh, border and other issues killed an estimated 80,000 people before fighting ended in the year 2000 in a contested peace deal. Tensions have been high in the region over the position of the frontier until Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed offered to end the military standoff this year as part of a package of reforms that have reshaped uh, the political landscape in the Horn of Africa and beyond. According to Professor Ian Abing, Horn of Africa expert, the reopening of the border is significant. Well, it is indeed because it has three aspects, which are of, of major, which are major uh, game changers. Of course, the political issue. It's another phase in the normalization between the relations between these two brother countries, Eritrea and Ethiopia. We started on uh, July 9 when uh, the new prime minister, who set everything in motion, visited Asmara for a surprise visit and uh, offering a full acceptance of this border decision of 2002 and other uh, normalization. So that's number one. It's it's a step towards the political normalization in the region and also in the wider uh, relations between countries in that region, Somalia, Djibouti, who have also been drawn in into this whole ethos of normalization of relationships and solving outstanding problems. The second thing, of course, is, which is significant, the economics aspect. A whole new um, phase of, you know, of more intensified economic relationships will open up. First of all, of course, Eritrea has the, the, the big ports of, uh, especially Assab, which used to be the port before 91, uh, before the war of 98, sorry, uh, of, of, of Ethiopia. It can now be used, and um, Ethiopia can diversify its import-export traffic, not only going through Djibouti, but also now going to Assab, through Assab and the second port, uh, Matsawa. That's very important. And also, this whole new dynamics will open up a wider economic um, upsurge because of the no relations between the two countries. The local economy will more uh, be able to pick up. There will be more, um, you know, import export between the two countries, and it will have a, I think, a very beneficial, uh, beneficial effect for all countries in that in that region. And third, of course, but not least, is the the, the you know the social effects. The the fact that people divided for 20 years by this border uh, closure, local people, but also any any people who have family across the other country in Eritrea or in Ethiopia can meet again, can start social relationships again, start also local economic relations between each other. So, and that has also a very encouraging and very heartwarming effect on, on local relationships between the two countries. Some people remain skeptical here, Prof, about yeah. whether this peace will hold. As part of Ethiopia's sweeping reforms, uh, Prime Minister Abiy also vowed to honor international rule by giving Bedme a disputed territory back to Eritrea. 
Eritrea. His announcement yeah. angered some Ethiopian veterans as well as uh, their descendants. Uh, uh, do you think uh, this peace uh, settlement will hold, uh, Prof? Yes, because the alternative uh, is not there. There is no alternative. You cannot go back on this. Indeed, there have been some protests. I mean, obviously, I mean, local people in, in, in the town, the disputed town of Badme, will not be very happy that they would become in the, in the near future European citizens. And there have been rumblings also within the uh, one section of the of the leading EPRDF party in Ethiopia. Is it what we fought for, they say? I mean, isn't it the Tigray territory? Well, you know, this is a compromise solution. And uh, there was really no way back for Ethiopia who had committed in the first place to all the to the outcome of that of the border decision by the permanent court of arbitration in 2002 they can't renege on that because you know it's it's like it is the compromise is that abi uh, abi ahmed the new prime minister said well you know this is the only way to break the deadlock the benefits will be accruing to us and to eritrea in the long run even in the short run because you know we will have human contact again we have economic relationships so it's a minor, if you would call it like that, sacrifice to indeed abide by the ruling and restore normal economic relations. Apart from uh, the border dispute issues, uh, uh, which other sticky issues do you think need urgent attention in order to normalize relations in the Horn of Africa region? Well, first of all, outstanding issues on security and on, on, on conflict, which still exists between uh, Eritrea and Djibouti, and also the a very tense relationship which Eritrea has had with the government, the federal government in Somalia, in Mogadishu, have to be straightened out. A beginning was made, again, uh, due to Ethiopian uh, initiatives. I think a couple of uh, days ago, I think September 6th even, yes, there was a meeting of uh, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, uh, Isaias Afewarki of Eritrea, and the... Uh, President of Somalia in in um, in Asmara on trying to foster cooperation and resolve outstanding issues. And that was Professor Jan Abink, Horn of Africa expert at Leiden University, on the line from Leiden in the Netherlands, talking to Kumbero Munzerere. A summit aimed at settling the scene for. A summit aimed at setting the scene for the signing of the final new peace agreement by South Sudan President Salva Kiir and rebel leader Rik Mashar is officially expected to start any time today in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa. Meanwhile, South Sudan members of the civil society groups, uh, ordinary citizens and experts on political and military issues are optimistic that unlike in the 2015 when the peace agreement collapsed, this time the new agreement will pave the way for the permanent peace to prevail in South Sudan. James Shimanyula reports. As the people of South Sudan eagerly wait for the new peace agreement to be finally signed by President Salva Kiir and his main political and military rival, Riek Machar, representatives of South Sudan civil society groups are speaking about key issues that participants in the Addis Ababa summit I expected it to tackle before the signing ceremony. Rajabu Muhandisi is one of the representatives of South Sudan civil society groups. He briefly touches on the issues to be tackled. They will deliberate on the final text of the agreement and also discuss the outstanding issues which were forwarded to the IGAD leadership. Then uh, the agreement will be ready for signing. Definitely there is some bit of hope that uh, the agreement will be signed tomorrow. Reflecting on what the new peace agreement stipulates compared to the one that collapsed in 2015, Mohandisi said. This agreement provides for eight months of pre-transition period. Within these eight months, there will be cantonment and uh, reorganization of the army, of the forces, training and uh, will culminate with uh, unification and deployment of these forces. What is the difference between the collapsed 2015 peace agreement and the new agreement, Mohandis again? For the past agreement of 2015, there was only three months of pre-transition period and about uh, 18 months of uh, unification of the forces. But this time, we have eight months of transition period or transitional security arrangements reorganizing, training, and deploying the different forces in the country. That was Rajabu Mohandisi, a member of South Sudan civil society groups. Mohandisi is attending the Addis Ababa summit ahead of the signing 
of the new peace agreement. Diplomatic sources in Addis Ababa say Sudan and Uganda will train the new unified South Sudan army comprising Juba government troops and fighters belonging to various opposition groups as well as rebels loyal to Riek Machar. Edmond Nyakani, an expert on South Sudan military issues, discloses what will happen after the new peace deal is finally signed and all parties return to Juba. Warring parties, they bring all their military to one training ground. They are all trained with one curriculum as an army that belongs to different fighting forces. Then if they're trained, then they will be redeployed as a national army. Edmond Nyakani, an expert on South Sudan military issues. While the international community waits for the outcome of the Addis Ababa summit that revolves around the signing of the final peace agreement, ordinary South Sudan citizens have made varying comments. Here are their voices. We really need a peace. 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 We need peace this time. It's enough. Please let them see how, how much the women are suffering. Let them see how much the children are suffering. We don't want to add more people who are orphans. We don't want to add more women who are lost, widowers who are lost their husband. I want to tell them, let them put their interests aside. Let them put power issues aside and let them look at the citizens. The people who trusted in them, the powers that you're there. When you look at the interests of your people, you'll be at peace with yourself. So when you're there, don't think that I'm be like this, I'll be like this. Think that, yes, I'm doing it for South Sudanese. The crisis really affects many, not only one. So my full message to those who are in Addis Ababa should focus for the benefit of this country. We are here for peace. We are with you. So what we expect is that we need peace in our country for, like, we have the economy now, we have problems with the economy, so we are begging these people to accept the peace. We need peace. Voices of ordinary South Sudan citizens on the summit that is to start shortly in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa ahead of the signing of a new peace agreement by President Salva Kiir and rebel leader Riek Machar. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Channel Africa leading the Women's Month conversations. Now, after more than two months after the Democratic Republic of Congo's government prohibited the use, selling, and importation of plastic bags, no change has been noted in that way. Plastics are still being used and seen lying everywhere. Both opposition and environment activists believe the country's authorities have failed. They have then called on the environment good management. Jean-Noel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. The government of the Democratic Republic of Congo decided nobody should continue using, selling or importing plastic bags and indeed the decision was supposed to be implemented since end of last July. Both the Ministry of Environment and Conservation of the Nature and the one of National Economy were called to implement the measure, but indeed nothing has really changed here up to now, more than two months after the DRC Prime Minister Bruno Chibala's decision, plastic bags are still used, sold everywhere and imported from other countries of course, and the waste is that they are thrown here and thereafter used and this makes the country more dirty especially here in the capital city, Kinshasa. The opposition has then called on the government to try and get a minimum of plastic and waste management in general. Jean-René Kibambe is from the opposition dynamic. That decision outcome is really negative since it hasn't been implemented and we continue seeing those plastics destroying the environment. Plastic bags are still made, imported and sold. Environment activists have expressed more concerns about the nature being 
being destroyed on daily basis due to lack of follow-up on the DRC government decisions. Most of those who accepted to share their opinions with us believe Kinshasa must be the deadest capital city of the world and this remains a serious problem people are suffering from here. One of the environment activists, Golden Misabiko, told Channel Africa the Democratic Republic of Congo is facing a terrible situation since there is no plastic policy. As far as environment is concerned, Congo is a chaos, it's a disaster. You see plastic bags everywhere. Even where people are not living, you can still find the plastic bags. And it's a terrible situation. There's no policy to recycle them, to use them for some other purposes. They're going to bury them somewhere. I don't know where. And that will still have some terrible impact on the environment. There's no plastic policy. Why are people so quiet instead of taking some decision and they say we need to create an institution to run the plastic? I'm not talking about Ministry of Environment. No. Plastic bag is a big issue. It's a big issue that has to have an institution to run it. The decision has been taken since more than two months but has never been applied. These activists find it very difficult for such a decision to be respected. The big challenge is that plastic bags make good business here in the Democratic Republic of Congo and indeed Golden Misabiko believes some of these countries' authorities are part of this business. You see many people in power are the source of these plastic bags because they have a connection of businessmen to bring these plastic bags here. Sometimes it's difficult for them to stop their own business. They can write, they can say, they can make a decision. But those plastic bags which are already in country, what are you doing with them? You decide not to import them. There are many people who are involved in selling these bags. They were doing that to survive because there's no job. If you decide to prohibit the plastic bag on the all Congo's territory, then you should come with new alternatives, you should come with some other options and give a job to those people who are dealing with the plastic bag to give them alternative job for them to live on and to survive. Meanwhile, some of the supermarkets here in Kinshasa have come out with cloth bags, but indeed those are in very small number since most of people here do not shop in supermarkets but in small shops and open markets and those are using plastic bags. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. And just a quick reminder that if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. You can also send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. That is plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. You can also tweet us at Channel Africa One. And whilst you're there, don't forget to press on that follow button. That'll ensure that you can interact with us at any time, whenever you want. Some of the stakeholders who made submissions on South African VAT increase have expressed concern that zero rating of water and electricity has not been recommended, while others are complaining that the zero rated items are not nutritious and lack protein. Lulama Matya reports. The additional items that the independent panel of experts agreed should be zero rated are bread and cake flour, white bread, disposable nappies, sanitary products, and school uniforms. However, there's a feeling that the zero-rated products are not nutritious enough. Program Director of Peter Maritzbeck Economic Justice and Dignity, Mervyn Abrams, explains. We are concerned that they are not, if we have to go the zero route and we look at the basket of zero-rated foods, that they are not sufficient proteins zero-rated. And that contributes from a nutritional point of view to the um, uh, increase in standing, etc. So we would like to ask for that consideration. There are also calls for poultry to be included on zero-rated items. They are arguing that protein meat is needed on the list of zero-rated items. The panel failed to reach a consensus on poultry. The South African Poultry Association says zero rating chicken will increase jobs and stimulate economic growth. 
The association's acting general manager, Zianda Majokweni, says the local industry will be protected and the benefits far outweighs the costs to the fiscals. So we're looking at about 1.3 billion to 1.9 is the cost to the fiscus. Um, however, this only represents 6 to 8 percent of, of that increase in VAT. Secondly, if you look at other benefits, for instance, we spoke about the, ben- the health benefits in, in terms of stunting, that cannot be underplayed. Labor Federation COSATU expressed concern that the panel's report failed to include water and electricity to be zero rated. The union's parliamentary officer, Matthew Parks, says there's room for municipalities to zero rate these services for low-income earners. We think there is sufficient space around the water and electricity tariffs to, to play around with. Um, if you, it's a bit strange to charge VAT for water, an essential human right right for life. The South African Medical Association told the committee that medication is progressively becoming expensive. Dr. Silaelo Mameja from the association says vet increase impacts negatively on patients from poor household. When they don't have medication they go and buy from the pharmacist are being affected but most importantly when you raise the tax and 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 People need the money for food and we find that people just don't come for their clinic visits because they don't have enough money to come for their clinic visits. And when you don't come for clinic visits, they complicate and who bears the cost of medical complication is the state. So that is really, really regressive. There are also calls for soya and peanut butter to be included on the zero rated items. The committee, however, says the stakeholders failed to indicate how the 1% vet increase affects the poor. Lulama Maikia in Parliament. The Norwegian Refugee Council, NRC, says close to 50,000 people have been displaced in Mali uh, so far this year. Now, due to the armed conflict, humanitarian funding has failed to keep uh, peace with the rising nerds, leaving people stranded. Meanwhile, massive resources are being invested in ongoing military operations. For more on the situation in the country, here's the NRC's head of programs in Mali, Domiti Legali. We are noticing a uh, significant increase in terms of uh, displacement because of an outbreak in intercommunal uh, fighting, but also um, increase of multiple ongoing military operations and the proliferation and activism of uh, armed groups. Now, the country is failing to raise the necessary funding needed for aid. Is it a lack of awareness to the magnitude of the humanitarian challenges that they're facing? This year, um, the humanitarian needs that have been identified are, are only funded at 25%. So it's, uh, it's very low and uh, very challenging, especially for in a country as, uh, as white um, as Mali, with, um, with significant uh, challenges in terms of uh, logistical and security access. So, um, yes, I think uh, Mali um, is in crisis since a few years now and become uh, a cyclic one. I guess it's very difficult to explain and to make him understand, but uh, security is not the only um, way of reducing uh, the conflict in Mali, and the humanitarian needs are huge, both in terms of uh, health and nutrition for security, and then we are urging that uh, investing in humanitarian uh, activities would also help to reduce and have a better impact on the protection conflict. Now, what has the Norwegian Refugee Council been doing in response thus far? In terms of response, rapid response mechanism, which is uh, the first very rapid um, response to give to an uh, crisis or to people that have to flee when there is a conflict in the village, especially because of uh, yeah, armed, armed conflict. So we are giving first response in terms of food, in terms of um, uh, non-food items, or all the essential items that you need um, to ensure your, your dignity. And, and we are coordinating um, our activities with, with uh, health, humanitarian NGOs, with uh, protection actors, to make sure that we are giving the more complete um, and um, dignity-based uh, response to the people that have to flee. 
And that was Domitile Gali, head of programs at the Norwegian Refugee Council in Mali, on the line from uh, Bamako in Mali, speaking to Lulu Gabu. And right now, it is 17.29, going on 17.30 Central African time. Zwalani has the news headlines. Thank you, Samora. Making headlines, Cameroon's government has vowed that next month's presidential election will be peaceful and voting will take place nationwide. A Malawian truck driver has been arrested in Bulukwane in South Africa's Limpopo province while allegedly smuggling in 87 undocumented foreign nationals. And finally, the authorities in Zimbabwe have banned all public gatherings in order to control the spread of cholera, which has killed at least 21 people in the capital, Harare. For Channel Africa... I'm Jolani Tulo. Roughly one-third of the annual food produced globally for human consumption is lost or wasted. This is according to the State of Food Security and Nutrition in the World uh, report by various UN agencies. The report gives an updated estimate of the number of hungry people in the world. Now, While close to 1.6 billion tons of food is lost annually, about 20% of the population in Africa is undernourished. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by the Food and Agriculture Organization's Cindy Holman. Good evening and thank you very much for joining us, Cindy. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Hello, can you hear me? Hi, Cindy. Thank you very much for joining us on Africa Digest. I just want to know, first of all, how much food is lost or wasted, particularly on the continent of Africa? Yes, well, you know, the, the estimations vary, but it can be quite considerable, anywhere from 30 to 60 percent. Um, again, it depends on the country and the context of, of race, whether it's due to, say, for example, aflatoxins with storage, food storage damage, or it goes just to waste in terms of urban areas. Um, but I think that the main story that's coming out of our report that we launched yesterday was the rise in hunger. So I really wanted to talk to you about that. Um, mm-hmm. One of the key no, findings. We can go ahead. Out, yeah, one of the key findings no. that came out, which you started to talk about, which is the rise in hunger. So we have confirmed this year that now hunger is up to 821 million people globally. That's one in nine. Um, wow. And what's, what's especially worrying is that it takes us back to the level we were nearly a decade ago. So it reverses and it's an erosion of all of our achievements over the last few years in reducing hunger. Now, Cindy, in which ways is most of the, f- uh, the wasted food disposed of and what sort of impact does it have on the environment? Um, in, in terms of um, food waste and loss, um, again, if we look at the causes of hunger, that's, we can do a lot to address food waste and loss, but if we look at the hunger, especially in Africa, um, where hunger is rising, there are three main reasons. One is um, rising conflict, um, the other is climate and climate variability in extremes, and the third is economic recessions. And, of course, underlying that is the um, problem of inequality, poverty. Mm. So, yes, food waste and loss is an important issue, but what we're highlighting in our report and our findings that came out yesterday is these new drivers and challenges. For Africa especially, um, climate variability and extremes is a key driver. Um, as you know, you know, there's been extreme droughts in many regions. Yes. Um, in southern Africa in 2015, 16, two years of drought, which, which created um, a lot of hunger in terms of emergency levels. But what's really important is that we're also finding that it's also affecting chronic hunger, and that's arriving. So um, I think the key message coming out of our report at this point is to really focus on building climate resilience. Uh, yes, other elements are important, but um, we need to start addressing the issue that you know we've seen from data and evidence that temperatures are increasing in Africa over agricultural areas, 
the variability in rainfall, seasons are changing, and this is having a few, huge impact on the livelihoods of many of the population in Africa in terms of loss of food, loss of income. Um, also, it creates problems around um, outbreaks of disease and pests, which mm -hmm. does then lead to food waste and damage with rising temperatures and humidity. Um, so there's a number of really important issues that are driving the rise in hunger in Africa. Now, just a short while ago on the show, we were talking about um, the Democratic Republic of Congo's government and the prohibited use, selling and importation of plastic bags. And uh, I also want to tie that in with, about, with the relationship between food packaging and food losses. How could this play a role in reducing food waste? Yeah, well, um, I think, you know, the, the issue around um, the use of plastic, you know, that is a huge health hazard in terms of both um, the landfill but also the, the plastic in the diet and the food chain mm. um, and the tox also creates problems in terms of nutrition. Um, so, so it's a double edge, both in terms of pollution but also in terms of uh, nutrients corruption to the, the, the value chain. Now, Cindy, when we look at most African populations, you know, we see that they are undernourished. And considering this, is there any way to bridge the gap between food losses and poverty? And what are some of the policies saying about perhaps giving away food? Uh, especially for me, looking at supermarkets and sometimes how they, they, they discard food, which would be perfectly usable for most people. Yes, so, so what, is, what is the question? So the question is, considering how undernourished uh, most African populations are, is there any way to bridge the gap between food losses and poverty? And what are some of the policies saying about perhaps giving food away? And I, I, I made an example of um, supermarkets that discard food, which would be perfectly uh, usable for most people. Yeah, I think, you know, it takes a concerted effort overall to look at what are the different ways, that, especially in urban areas where there is a lot of food waste, um, how that can be best utilized and how we can reduce the waste. Um, but again, you know, I think that the main issue that um, I was being asked to talk about was the new findings that we have on undernourishment and, um, and hunger. And yes, food waste is one, one element that can help address it, but the issues are much more related to poverty and quality and access to food. And then the challenges you have in many countries around um, climate variability and extremes, which is affecting crops, which is affecting prices, um, and then also economic downturn. So again, food waste and loss is one area, an important area. But I think you have to look much broader at the, the other issues driving hunger and undernourishment. Right, Cindy, thank you very much for joining us on the line and speaking to us about this very important issue about food wastage. Uh, and that's the Food and Agriculture Organization. Cindy Holloman joining us on the line. And uh, just a little bit of information. The United Nations has set a target of halving food loss and waste by 2013. And we do hope that this is achievable and uh, that there are policies that have been put in place in order to ensure that we are going to be seeing a drastic um, um, lowering of food wastage and loss now talking to about south africa south africa's trade union federation the congress of south african trade unions kosatu has called on the ruling uh, african national congress anc's nec to investigate reports of a plot to oust president Cyril ramaphosa from office the T sunday times newspaper reported at the weekend that anc secretary general ace mahashule attended a secret meeting at a hotel in durban last week with former president jacob zuma former northwest premier supra mahumapelo uh, the anc women's League Secretary General Moekho Matuba and KZN ANC Youth League Secretary Utandukolo Sabelo allegedly plotting the removal of Ramaphosa. Mahashule has since confirmed that he did meet with Zuma and some ANC officials, but the meeting was to discuss certain issues and not to discuss plans to remove the president. To talk to us more on this, we are joined on the line by the spokesperson of Kosatu, Mr. Sizwe Pamla. Mr. Sizwe, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, good uh, afternoon to you and your listeners. So, the question on everybody's minds, 
Do you believe that there is a plot against President Cyril Ramaphosa? Well, there is no evidence that we have that will really make us to say we believe. Mm -hmm. um, so it will be unfair to really um, say just because it has been reported in the newspaper, then we can reach a conclusion. Yes. Uh, uh, but we are saying, uh, look, uh, we were there in the build-up to Nazareth. We mm. know how divided the ANC was, and we know how divisive some of the people implicated were at that particular time. Yes. So using that history, uh, it will be silly of us uh, to look the other way or put our head in the sand and pretend as if uh, something like this is not possible. Uh, from what we know now, based on uh, what we witnessed within the ANC, the alliance. I mean, when President Jacob Zuma was booed uh, in, in uh, the major event mm -hmm. that was held in Free State, it was the current SG who actually mobilized people, uh, gave them a Kosatu t-shirt, printed Kosatu t-shirts, and uh, organized those workers uh, with the hope that they were going to give President Jacob Zuma this uh, great reception, only to find out that COSATU members had uh, discovered that, and they were not going to be neutralized in such a fashion. So, yes. uh, so, so those are the experiences that forces us to say, we cannot pretend as if this is, 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 is impossible. And now we're saying, since we don't have facts, we do not want also to, to, to indict people and judge them without sense. Let the NEC uh, 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 conduct an investigation so that we can hear from the NEC whether based on their investigation is this true or not. That's all we're asking. So take us through the investigation because if these officials met in secret and they are saying that what was discussed at that meeting was not uh, a plan to oust President Sol Ramaphosa, how are we... How how is is the how is the investigation going to be carried out in order to determine whether or not that was the agenda on that uh, on that day? Look, we, we 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 don't want to impose this on the NSA, and of course we don't have terms of reference here to say, look, uh, this is what the investigation should look like, and this is how uh, it should proceed. What we are saying is that when we have a sitting SG of the ANC. Mm -hmm. Uh, go to KZN to meet a former president, but not just a former president. If, if it was the SG and, and, and the president, this would not have been suspicious. But yes. when you add the ousted premier of Northwest and you add the SG uh, of, of the Women's League, and then uh, 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 some people are even adding uh, the, 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 the secretary of the Youth League in KZN, what is it that they have in common? They were on the same uh, page, or they were part of the same section in Nazareth. Mm -hmm. So now that is where we are saying that even the SG, when he came out yesterday to to say no, uh, I admit I did meet President Jacob Zuma. He failed to explain what were the other people doing there. Yes, because he said no, this was just an innocent meeting. But you cannot really have an innocent meeting like that. We are the SG of the ANC, as and when, for example, you go into a COVID. You are supposed to, the ANC in KZN needs to know that the SG is in the province, especially if he's meeting so many people who hold leadership positions in the ANC. Hmm. Where do we get this? We actually get this from the Youth League, from the, uh, the province of KZN. When we supported President Cyril Ramaphosa, and there was a, 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 a campaign meeting that was uh, convened in Pumala, in, in, in Newcastle at the time. Yes. Uh, we did then uh, 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 candidate for SG Sanzum uh, Tool. It was the ANC that actually forced the uh, uh, Comrade Guide at the time to say we demand an investigation because we we, we we don't accept this that one of the top officials. Because remember, the issue of you being a national leader, a part of the top six, is that when you go into a province, people have to know your whereabouts because. They don't want to get a sense that you are undercutting them. Either you are meeting regions or you are meeting branches without them as the elected leaders in the province. So mm. we, we know this process is that they have made these very same arguments against President Ramaphosa when he was campaigning at the time. They would say, no, he has to be investigated because he should have reported to the PEC or to the province. 
that he was organizing an event so that the regions in the vicinity understand that a leader was elected in the Congress is in the vicinity and is attending either a meeting or, or, or a rally. So we are saying here there are processes in the ANC. We know that the ANC can do this. The ANC can do this. There are structures that, 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 that can be tasked with the responsibility of looking into this. Yes. So we are saying we have a problem as an alliance. In 2016, it proved to us that uh, the people of South Africa are actually changing their mind. They are starting to explore other uh, political parties. The economy of this country is on its knees. Unemployment numbers are depressing. The crime statistics that came out this week are shocking. Now, when you have a population that is really from the high cost of living and with all of these other challenges, and they look at a political party that is in power, they read about these things, and you do not come out coherently to say, what are you doing about resolving these issues? You are going to have a problem when you campaign because people are going to start to believe, look, the reason why we are where we are is because these people are no longer focused. They are fighting each other. Can we just abandon them and go somewhere else? And that is why we are calling for this investigation because there are consequences that you will experience yes. I'm, 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 really, I'm really keen to see and I'm pretty sure the rest of South Africa is really keen to see how this investigation is going to turn out and uh, how everything is just going to pan out especially for uh, the, 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 the delegates who are in, who are in the, the officials who were in that meeting in Durban and of course for President Cyril Ramaphosa unfortunately we have run out of time Mr. Pamela thank you very much for speaking to us and uh, giving us your views and also explaining to us the situation that is happening within the ANC right now. That was Mr. Siswa Pamla, spokesperson at the Congress of South African Trade Unions. But right now, it is 17.46 Central African time. Wisani is in the building. Uh, Wisani, we heard Mr. Siswa Pamla talking about, uh, you know, how the economy is sitting right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're here to tell us a little bit more about that. Most definitely, the business uh, confidence index has just been released, not looking good, but not that bad as compared to the previous month and also retail statistics have also uh, been reported. They're also down, but it's not uh, something which we could say it's uh, it's significant. It's just a few percentages and few mm. points down. But all of this, you know, they accumulate, they get all together, they bend in together, they become something big uh, yeah. in the long run because if you have your business confidence down, you've got your retail statistics a bit down, then we are in technically in a recession. All of that, you know, compounds the yeah. compounding effect. Uh, that's what we're looking at. All right. Well, let's get a bit more detail on that in the Economics Bulletin. Good evening and thanks, Samora. International Conference on Artisanal and Small-Scale Mining and Quarry Management is currently underway in Zambia, Livingston. The World Bank-supported conference has brought together more than 500 participants from 95 countries. Hilda Akikela reports. In his opening remarks, President Edgar Lungu appealed to African countries to pay more attention to efforts being put up by small-scale miners, saying if well-supported, they can contribute to economic growth of a country. He said artisanal and small-scale mining have the potential to advance integrated and sustainable social economic development. He however said since the sector does not generate significant revenues at national level, it is often neglected and continues to operate under unclear policies. Nigerian stocks posted their single biggest decline in three months as investors sold off shares across sectors. The main share index fell for the sixth straight day, down 3.46 percent to close at 32,300 points, which is the stock's lowest level in 14 months. The consumer goods index fell 1.57 percent, while the index of Nigeria's top 10 banks shared 2.83%. Dangote Cement, which accounts for about a third of the market capitalization in the Nigerian Stock Exchange, shared 5.83%. 
In South Africa, business confidence index measured by the South African Chamber of Commerce, Saki, has dropped to 90.5 in August. This after a slight improvement of 94.7 in July. Saki's Richard Downing explains. Well, I think it's, it, it, it's, there's some still policy uncertainty. The other thing that we saw actually is, you know, the emerging markets actually had a difficult time during August in terms of their currencies. And uh, if you're, uh, you're, you're regarded as a higher risk type of emerging market economy, then, of course, your currency would suffer. And I, we saw the land actually cover uh, being one of the currencies actually that depreciated quite a lot against all the major currencies. And I think that was one of the main reasons, main reasons for the decline that we saw. But if you look at the economy, though, on the real economic activity, uh, we actually also saw that only two indices were positive on August, you know, of the seven. And economists say although retail trade sales have showed a slight improvement, consumers still face tough times ahead. Statistics South Africa reported that retail uh, trade sales increased by just a percent in July 2018 from 1.1% slowdown in 2018. Economist uh, Elitz Kruger explains. There are many headwinds for consumers still at this point in time. Although today's figure was in line with expectations, we do foresee that the sector will remain under strain. Uh, thinking about high fuel prices, rising inflation, uh, so generally an economy in recession is not good for, for consumers. So uh, although today's figure is good and you know we, we expected this number, it's still quite low. And two major global ratings agencies downgrading issues linked to Chinese regional and local governments, drawing attention to credit risks as Beijing continues its lengthy crackdown on systematic financial risk. S&P Global Ratings cut by one notch the long-term issuer credit ratings of uh, seven Chinese local government and financing vehicles, whilst uh, Moody's Investor Service downgraded five Chinese non-financial corporate. This might have effect on many African countries who have borrowed heavily from China. Financial indicators say the dollar 10.73, Botswana Pula 10.27, Zambian Kwacha commodities, we've got gold at $1,193, platinum at $788 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil $79.39 per barrel. And that's how it's looking. Uh, so we have a South African wheelchair tennis star who's relieved that she'll no longer worry about transport after receiving a sponsored vehicle. But of course, Musibudi Makore is here to tell us a little bit more about that in the Sports Bulletin. With the latest Channel Africa sports news at this hour, I'm Neto and ETO Chamani. From the sports desk, a very good evening. Starting off with tennis news. South African wheelchair tennis star Khotaza Monjani says she is relieved she will no longer worry about transport after receiving an Audi Q2 from Audi Polokwane Center today. Monjani shared the joy with her family present at the event saying she is motivated to continue doing well. Monjani further feels that this is a historic moment that will help break barriers in disabled athletes and women in sport getting sponsorship. What we're having today, it's, it's history in the disability sports. Being able to see a, a motor company sponsoring uh, an athlete with, with a disability. So it, it, it's just, it's just a barrier breaker itself, seeing Audi being able to do this. So we, we, we can only hope that it doesn't happen to me only, but it, it happens to every athlete who's really doing great in the country. Seeing a company that's specifically from my hometown being able to be the one that supports me because I'm sure they, they, they know better where I'm coming from so and for me being part of it it just it just says a lot because that really reminds me to keep coming home you know to, to, to share my experiences with my fellow Olympians so it, it's good it's good to see them doing that and mostly from a hometown perspective I think it's brilliant. Monjani became the first black South African woman to complete in all four tennis Grand Slams this year, and she wanted to improve by getting results. 
The Seshekhoban athlete adds that this kind of sponsorship is what she needs to succeed. It took time, you know, but also I'm not a grassroots crafted player. I, I started playing tennis at the age of 19 and I had to learn my ways through that in terms of doing well and all that. But we all know that in this country, individual sponsorship, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge to all athletes. So it is the biggest challenge that I couldn't get that in the past because as a tennis player, for me to get to higher heights, this, this is the kind of support I need because I'm not going to do enough with just getting coaching in a practice court only. I need, I need a coach to travel with. I need a whole lot of uh, support in terms of psychologists and all that. And it, it all comes in a form of money. People need to be paid to give you those services. So that lack of support, it, it, it also, you know, delayed my, my, my progress in tennis. But uh, I, I would like to think that it's all in the past, you know, I, I can move past that and celebrate because now my focus will be on, on what I do on court, despite, uh, in, rather than you know being worried when am I gonna where am I gonna compete next? Where's my next meal gonna come from? So it, it's such a relief because it gives me a moment to stay fully focused. On to football news. The Uganda Crested Cranes defeated Swaziland 4-3 in their opening fixture of the 2018 Kosafa Women's Championship in Port Elizabeth, Eastern Cape Province earlier today. Faridak Bulega's charges received an invite to take part in this year's edition and despite having never played against South African opposition, the head coach is optimistic her side will be able to get good results throughout the tournament. In cricket news, James Anderson says that breaking Glenn McGrath's all-time record for test wickets for a fast bowler doesn't mean that much to him while he is still playing. I don't want to play it down too much, but it doesn't mean a great deal to me. Like Today was all about winning a test match. It was about giving Cookie a good send-off, uh, the, the send-off that he, he deserved. Um, so that's like, for me, that's what today's focus was on. It's certainly what my focus was on. Um, I guess my mum and dad will be happy then they don't have to come to Sri Lanka. And finally in rugby news, New Zealand assistant coach Ian Foster says they will by no means be underestimating the Springboks in Saturday's rugby championship encounter in Wellington. The South Africans head into the match on the back of successive defeats to Argentina and Australia and a 3-4 win-loss record in 2018. Since their last win in New Zealand in 2009, the Springboks have beaten the All Blacks only twice in 17 tests and also suffered a record 57-0 loss in Albany last year. But the All Blacks remain wary, with Foster saying he was impressed by the box 2-1 series win over England in June. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. Stay tuned for programming news and sports from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sports, I'm Neto and Itio Chamani. This is Africa Digest. Now it is how we wrap up the first hour of Africa Digest today. From myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Leander Maomet, technical producer Adrian Kenny, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments on the show, you can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. You can also tweet us at Channel Africa One. Now taking us to the top of the hour is Ambio Sebenza by the Soil featuring Ladysmith Black Mambazo. We'll see you later. Oh,
Mwayamba kumvera kundime ina yazo.